Good morning, everybody. It's, let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. Come on, we're consecrating feet next week, so you better be more ready than that. Welcome, team. Vanessa, Ian, feet next week. Oh, brilliant. It's so good to have you with us as we start this new season. It's so good to be back to this layout as opposed to speakers and worshipers being way up on that stage. We're in amongst you in community. Um, and as you see, as we've sh- this is the first time we've shifted back with all the new technology of streaming, etc. And there was one thing that was overlooked, one cable. And that cable wasn't even too short, it was too long. So my phone's not on silent. So therefore, we have one um, screen for you, but that's okay. Because much more important is that as we're here, as we're gathered, the Holy Spirit is here among us. So I pray more than the screens can speak to us, more than my voice can speak to us, God's Holy Spirit can meet with us and speak to us this morning. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I will do, or the Lord will do, Joshua said, great things among us. Um, You may think we're on a broken record right now. We're talking about Joshua 3 a lot. Um, But this is an important passage, and we believe it's an important passage for this season. Uh, This all started for our leadership team back in January when Caroline Curry, who's now living in England, brought this passage to us. And she felt God really laid on her heart for us for the season, and I would say for the world for this season. And so as as leadership team, then over the next few months, we've been um, challenged again and again about the power, about the reality, about the timeliness of this passage, that God is calling his people and God is calling us to reflect. God is calling us to repent in all that that means. God is calling us to this big word, consecrate ourselves, which we'll go into in a second, but get right with God. Because God is definitely doing something in this world today. It's a pandemic. It's not just a Balnehinchnik or whatever you'd call it if it was just here. It's a pandemic. And we want to be ready for what God is doing. We want to be on his heels. We want to be hearing his voice. And we want to be moving with him. So consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do great things among you. And we're going to go on a bit of a process of that this morning and then this coming week. But I want to look back on Joshua 3 just for a few minutes before we go on to what's next. And I want to talk about it again because I think it's, this sounds cliche, but I think there's at least three really important things and really timely things about this passage for us. So Joshua 3, the people of Israel will know this, are standing on the edge of the River Jordan with all the anticipation because the promised land is on the other side of that river. And this story then for them is a story of longing. It's a story of longing for what's promised over there and for what they've not been experiencing here. It's a story of longing. It's also massively a story of consequences. It's a story of the brutal consequences of of lack of faith, the brutal consequences of fear, the brutal consequences of disobedience. It's a story of incredible consequences. But so important for us today, it's also a story about grace. 
It's a story about patience. It's a story about mercy, and we're so thankful for that. So I just want to go through these three things because I think they're all so important for us today. Today, this story, Joshua, the people of Israel, standing on the edge of the River Jordan is a story about longing. These people standing on the edge of the River Jordan are the children of the people who exited for it from Israel. We know that. They're the children of those people who miraculously were saved from Israel. And yet they're the children of them. Forty years ago, their parents were rescued. Forty years ago, their parents experienced the miracles of God. Forty years ago, their parents experienced the walls of water and the plagues and the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire and all those things. Some of these maybe have vague memories. Maybe was they, as they were tiny children, maybe the oldest of them have, have teenage memories of these incredible events. But right now, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years years. So for many of us, that would be at your birth, there was an event in your teenage years. This is a long time ago. And they're looking in longing and expectation. There's got to be more than this. So what does that mean to us? We've all heard stories of miracles We've all heard stories of healings. We've heard stories of transformation. We watched the videos on our screen. We actually had this series last, uh, over the summer about remember when. Remember when God was faithful in our lives. We've heard those stories. We're actually about to hear more stories soon of Ali in Bulgaria and Saida in Serbia. We hear stories. We read the books about Brother Yun maybe in China or Jackie Pullinger or whatever, that famous missionary that you read about, about the incredible things God has done among them. Or maybe you remember that time in your life where God had that space and where you met God in that powerful way, where you had peace like you've never felt before, where you had healing, where you had a voice from God. We remember those things, but sadly we remember them pretty vaguely quite often. But we read the Bible and we hear the stories and we know there's more. We long for more. God, is this it? Because if, there's this, if this is it, I can't keep going in this. I need more of you. The story of Joshua 3 and our story today, if you're anything like me, is a story of longing. But it's also a story about consequences. The people of Israel, as we said, were dramatically rescued from Egypt. God uh, laid low the king of Egypt. He erected a wall of water on either side of them so that they could walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. He marched before them as a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. They provided, he provided food and water for these people. These, these people saw incredible miracles. And yet within one year of all this happening, where are the people of Israel? Within a few months, they've already forgotten this God. And remember that they built that golden calf and they said, let's not worship that God who did all those amazing things. This calf looks really worthy of worship. Let's bow down and worship to it. Within months of this, Within months of this, they're already moaning to God, wanting to go back into slavery, wanting to be beaten, wanting to be whipped, because at least we were fed there. God, your manna in your water is not enough for us. Within months of this, 
within one year of this, they already turned their back on the promised land. They already have forgotten the amazing miracles and power of God and are afraid of the God, who, not of the God who flattened the Egyptians, but of the people who ten people were worried about on the other side, not of a river, but into the promised land. It took them just a year to get to the promised land. And already in that time, they've forgotten. Already in that time, they're stepping back in fear. They're complacent. They want the wilderness more than stepping into the land flowing with milk and honey. And there's massive consequences for this. These people will wander around in this wilderness, the Negev, which is basically just a desert for 40 years. And more than that, their children will never see the promised land. Their children will die before entering the promised land. There are massive consequences to their lack of faith. There are massive consequences to their complacency. There are massive consequences to their doubt, to their fear. So... Again, we hear great stories. We've seen the videos. We've even had the experiences. I've had the experiences, and I can only speak to you from my heart this morning, and I can only speak to you from my conviction this morning. But I've had the experiences where I've seen God work powerfully when I've stepped into what he's had, and I've seen him move in people's lives, and I've seen people saved and healed in life, and I've known peace and transformation. But is it not true that so often when we're presented with those moments, when we're presented with those moments to speak to someone, to share Jesus with someone, to speak life or faith or service, that we shrink back because, you know, now there's a better time than this. You know, when the question's asked better, when there's more space or when that person's not around, the reality is we shrink back in fear from those moments. Or, or I had a situation this week that I was really convicted of and stepped into. But so often, you know, we have that prompting when I need to pray for this person. There's a serious need in this, in this person's life. Health, uh, poverty, peace, fear, whatever. There's a serious need in this person's life. And I could pray for them because I believe God moves now. But would it be awkward if I stepped into that? Would they think I'm shoving the Bible down their throat? Would there be a better time? Would there be a better place? And so we pull back and... Instead of praying with them, we pray, I'll pray for you. Or we don't even say that, we just pray for them. Or maybe that foundational thing. How many of us are convicted on a regular basis that we know we need to take that space in our morning or in our noon or in our night to stop and to pause and to wait and to read, and to just let God do business with us. But there's always something that fills our mornings, and our noons, and our nights. And then we wonder why we're walking in wilderness. Then we wonder why we're so far from stories of God's faithfulness. Then we wonder why we're so far from feeling God's peace when we either don't do what God's calling us to or those times we know what God's calling us not to, but it's so tempting to step into it. It's so tempting to say that or to look at that or to walk into that. The reality we know, I know, so I guarantee you know, 
is that the story of this life is a story of consequences. For fear, for doubt, for disobedience. But the incredible thing about God's story is it's not just a story of longing. It's not just a story of consequences, although it is, and sometimes brutal consequences on the children of Israel. This story of Joshua 3, and I pray our story for us, is also massively a story about grace. When you read about the Israelites in the Old Testament, I love the Bible because it's such a raw and brutal book. And when you read about the Israelites in the Old Testament, do you ever think, God, how did you possibly put up with these people? How are you possibly patient with these people? How do you possibly still call these people your people and and still hold out these promises for them? God drew and spoke Abraham out of the land of Ur and called them into Canaan. But in one of Abraham's first chances to to live for him and to stand in faith, first he flees to Egypt to to get away from from a famine. And then he puts his wife basically in front of the bus and says, she's not my wife, she's my sister, so you can do whatever you can want to do to her because I just want to be safe here. And twice he does this. God's man is so fearful that he literally possibly lays his wife's life down so he can live. But there's grace. Even though his son does the exact same thing with his wife, they're not a great people. And even though his son, so then Isaac did that, but also Jacob. What do we know Jacob for? Jacob tricked his brother and then lied to his father to steal his inheritance. That's the three generations of God's promise. God, how do you put up with those people? And those are the highlights amongst so many other. And then they're rescued by Moses. And what do they start doing? Moaning, complaining, building a golden, a golden calf to worship. God, how are you gracious? How are you compassionate with these people? And and as I read through the Old Testament, I suppose two thoughts readily come to my mind. One is, God, I would have killed them. I want to strangle them. I can't believe this is happening. But the other thought I grab onto, and I love it with the disciples too, is, God, thank you. Thank you so much that you have these stories, that this is the history of your people, because I know that I am just like them. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. The story of Joshua and his people coming into the promised land is the story of this loving God, who it says in the psalm several times, is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and he is full of unfailing love. It's a story of longing. And I believe it's true for me and for you. I want more of this. I read the promises that are more of this. I've heard the stories that are more of this. It's a story of consequences. And I guarantee you can think of the times in your life as I could that you didn't step in or you stepped back or you went when you shouldn't have. And you know that you live in the consequences of that. We don't see the fullness of the reality of God anywhere near as much as we would love to. And it's a story about grace.
And it's on the back of all that beautiful reality that the leadership sat with this story this year and had this conviction that we need to call the church, just like Joshua called the children of Israel, consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So what does that mean? (laughs) Well, as we always do, Google says, Consecration, when a building, a place, or an object is consecrated, it is officially declared to be holy. Whoa, that's a big word. It's officially declared to be holy, to be set apart for the God of the universe. And right with that perfect God, when something is consecrated, it is declared to be holy. And I suppose I want to make one thing really clear to us. As we go through this journey, one thing that's actually not going to happen to you if you're a Christian this morning is you're actually not going to be consecrated because you're already consecrated. If you are standing in Jesus this morning, it is his body and it is his blood through his death and resurrection that has consecrated you once and for all. Your belief in that, nothing you can do, nothing you can achieve, nothing you can repeat, you are consecrated. But at the same time, we are convicted that we need to recommit, that we need to remember, that we need to repent of this so we can stand in the reality of what Jesus did for us. So the leadership of grace are calling us as a family. And we believe it's something God's calling the whole world into on the back of this pandemic. To consecrate ourselves. To repent. To ask forgiveness. To just lay everything before the Father. And say, whatever you're doing, God. Whatever you want to do tomorrow. I want to be ready for that. And we're going to start that this morning. And I suppose I want to say as well, this is a journey. This is not a tick box. And whatever God does after this is not a tick box either. And as Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow The Lord will do amazing things among you. Today, and what we do today in this week is us responding to God. But tomorrow is the Lord's business. That weight is not on your shoulders and it's not on my shoulders. But this week we are going to take some time. And this morning, we're going to take some time, and Karen's going to lead us in a prayer. And we're all going to see it and read it together, a prayer of starting this journey together. And then this week, we're going to get seven sets of emails that break this prayer down with its scriptures so that we can sit with it. And one thing I would really challenge us all to do this week is to fast over this. And now you're saying, Paul, I can't eat for seven days or drink. Maybe. If God lays that in your heart, please, Lord, no. Maybe. But what I would really challenge you to do is to fast something this week. Fast TV this week. Fast 
social media this week. Fast, I'm a news guy. Sit and read the news. What's the latest thing? Or fast a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner this week. So you can take time to sit with this liturgy that's been beautifully provided and the scripture that's been powerfully provided to do business with God and so much more importantly to allow God to do business with you and with me and with us. This is a journey and it's a story of longing for more. Yes, Lord, we want more. We need more. We've heard of more and we want that if it's from you. It's a story of consequences. And if we're honest, we recognize there is consequences for what we have done and what we haven't done, how we haven't obeyed and followed this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's a story of grace. This ridiculous, pathetic people is that the people of Israel or us that God still gave this incredible opportunity to walk into the promised land. Lord, help us to hear your word this morning and help us to hear your word this week and know you, God, because we want to know and be part of through for in the great, amazing things you're going to do. I pray this in Jesus' and Jesus' holy and awesome name.